Welcome to the Yoga Connection with Zorananda. The Yoga Connection is a deep dive into everything yoga. Follow along with Zorananda and his guests as they discuss yoga history, spirituality, different practices, and the many misconceptions that have followed along throughout the years of yogic tradition. Hello and welcome to The Yoga Connection. I'm Zorananda and today we're looking at the final kosha, Anandamaya kosha. This one is a little more difficult because we're now entering into almost a completely abstract realm of experience and something that typically most people have very little direct experience in um and so this whole episode can be ended right here by me saying anandamaya or anandamaya kosha is bliss and that's it end of the show end of the recording but i have to fill some time so of course i wrote some notes and um because it's something that I have experience with, um, and the tricky thing with talking about these concepts and saying, you know, that I, I have experience with that, um, there's no direct objective proof. There's no tangible way of me showing anyone. And so I can only go based on what experiences that I've had, which naturally are going to be anecdotal um but what i can do in the explanations that i have is lay a kind of a groundwork for what to expect and what to lead towards um depending on if this is something you want to take on because it's an arduous task it takes years and years of practice and um, it takes dedication and essentially knowing that this is going to be a lifelong pursuit, um, where in the society that we live in, we more likely are on the side of hopping from thing to thing and dabbling and having a kind of like ADD or ADHD mind of, getting into yoga, starting yoga, doing yoga, and then for whatever reason, losing interest and then moving on to the next thing. Say if it's a martial art or if it's just, you know, maybe you had a weird experience and you're just not into it anymore. You want to try another workout. And that's the typical experience when it comes to um, the Western approach to things where if you're ever to go to yoga, if you're ever to go to India and you see that yoga and, um, its philosophies are embedded within the culture. And so, um, it's already understood as a lifelong endeavor. Um, and it takes different forms and different shapes through different, um, phases of life, right? And so 
Um, just because you start a business and now you're a business owner, that doesn't mean your yoga practice ends. Um, it reforms itself and it shifts to um, support whatever endeavor you're doing. And this is kind of going to the realm of what karma is, but I don't really want to go on too much of a side rant. Um, I'm setting up for really being able to explain what an Anandamaya Kosha is and how to approach wanting to experience it. And so, like I said, the last Kosha is the most challenging to interpret without direct experience. Um, so again, uh, just like the last one, I'm going to read through some notes that I have um, and try to read it in a way as if I'm kind of speaking it from my mind, right? So um, essentially and simply, Ananda Mayakosha means the bliss layer. And bliss, in this case, is a descriptive word that inevitably undermines the totality of experience within this layer because bliss is just a word, right? Um, and it's usually associated with in the moment like you're eating this pastry that is just perfectly made say um you're at a lunch or brunch with a friend or um you went to the shop and you got this pastry and you're eating it and you and it's just so satisfying and you say to yourself oh my god i'm in bliss um you know take any experience that suddenly you're overwhelmed with the kind of joy that you associate that experience with bliss. However, once experienced, um, so bliss, once it's experienced, its nature is known and can be shared directly through presence. And this is where yoga moves away from being a physical practice, something that you just go on routine to a yoga studio um so it's moves away from being a pr practice that is used a lot utilized for personal means to a presence that is shared for impersonal means so essentially getting in contact with anandamaya kosha you start to shift what your intention is and why you're doing a spiritual practice so initially at first it is for yourself because um, say if you look into some stats just around why people get into yoga, a good portion of those people are from, they had some kind of injury. They were an athlete and they no longer can be an athlete. They got into yoga to kind of fix themselves, quote unquote, and then they fall in love with it. And then, you know, they get into it more and more. And so the deeper and deeper you go into the experience of the koshas, that intention of it being a personal thing naturally shifts because you start to experience the foundations of, of bliss within yourself and what it's doing as a state of consciousness and a state of being. And so it starts to inform you and it starts to inform the body on how that presence can be 
a good for the world around you. And typically, worldly considerations are no longer pertinent at this stage. So the reasons why you've gotten into anything, the job that you have, the school that you go to, um, the relationships, the friends, um, whatever you like for entertainment, whatever you like for food, all of the desires for that. And um, I want to be mindful of how, how I'm saying this, but um, I would say the obsession of them or the kind of impact is lessened. And so um, it, it almost seems nihilistic or almost seems like pessimistic that suddenly all these things that you found interested in, interested in are just no longer interesting. Um, it's not that um, you have this like overt negativity around them. It's that you've now come in contact with something within yourself that is much more potent as a fulfillment of desire. And so because you've come in contact with this state of bliss, you're no longer seeking the external materialistic things for that fulfillment of desire. You now have this well of connectivity within bliss that your desires are fulfilled. So suddenly the desire to be financially successful is not so you're not so obsessive about it the desire to um you know climb the ranks in your company you're no longer obsessive about it you're still gonna do it so that's the thing you're still going to be successful you're still going to climb the ranks you're still going to do the things that you do it's just now your relationship with how you're going about it changes because you now know that um, why you go into those things isn't for the thing itself. It's because there's this connection that's being made from bliss to bliss. And this will start to make a little bit more sense as I go on here. Um, so... The understanding of life as a conscious being is no longer tied to obsessive qualities that bind the soul to, like, your humanity. And this can be pretty tricky to grasp. And it's, it's namely because, for the most part, majority of people on this planet um, aren't thinking of life in these terms they're not looking at their why they have their house why they have their car you know their partner their kids their job all the things their tv their video games their computers they're not looking at all of that in a representation of oh this is um A manifestation of me following my bliss you know they're not thinking in terms of that they're thinking of terms of more in the moment satisfaction and desire fulfillment in the moment they're feeling like they're lacking something 
and they're going, oh, I need this so that I'm happy. Oh, I, I, yeah, I got to get a new TV because of this, this, and this. I got to get a new laptop because this, this, and this. I got to get this new game because this, this, and this. I got to get a new girlfriend because this, and this. I got to get a new boyfriend. This is so... Um, the yoga practice in this case is calling for an adjustment to occur so that the reasoning behind doing anything is no longer driven by that need of fulfillment and materialism and that the purpose of having those things um changes and like I'm, I'm not saying that suddenly you need to be single live in a cave be a, you know not have all the things because I have all the things I live in a house I have a laptop I'm literally looking at my laptop in a second monitor and I'm looking at all the devices that I have a cell phone a Samsung an iPhone um, you know I have a TV and I have subscriptions to Prime and Netflix and you name it right <clears throat> And so the enjoyment in those things is there, but my relationship to why I have these things is being informed by something inside of myself that is within a stream of a, of a kind of, I want to say deeper purpose, but um, without sounding too, too egoic about it. So say um, the laptop and the monitor that I have my purpose in getting them was to do this podcast. And so it makes sense on a materialistic view that in order for me to get those things, I need a job. I need to work. I need to save money. I need to look at, okay, if I'm going to spend $500 on these things and I have debt and I have bills, I have to be responsible. Right. And so my just normal sense of being a human. I don't need any overt like spirituality. I don't need any overt yoga practice to tell me that, you know, I can't um, sacrifice my house bills or paying rent um, to buy a laptop. But a lot of people do that. There are a lot of people who, um, because of their obsession with, the materialism is that they'll skirt responsibilities. They'll think to themselves, I need a new laptop, you know, and it's $500, but it's the end of the month. I need to pay my rent. And there are a lot of people who will choose their materialism and that selfishness, um, and their personal means, um, to fulfill that desire rather than being responsible. So there's a way that, having a yoga practice can actually help with supporting that like wisdom within you or that state of being responsible being like, no, before I get a new laptop, I got to make sure that, um, I can do so without jeopardizing anything. And for me in my life personally, it took a while to get to that point because I'm paying off certain debts. Um, I'm wanting to get a better grasp on my finances and I want to be more controlled that way. So it was a sacrifice in another way of me not being able to do my podcast for like over a year. Right. And that might sound silly to a lot of people that might think that or hear that and be like, well, you know, like why would it take you a year? 
that's just how my life went. <laughs> and surrendering it to that, being okay with that, and now seeing that I have it, and it's going, and I just move forward, right? So there's this dance that's happening between, you know, um, is my ability to be cognizant of just my own patterns and my responsibilities. Um, do I need something like yoga or meditation to inform me of the importance of being just a responsible person for many people? No. And for many others, yes. And so for me, over the last 10 years of my life, when I look at, you know, how I've been living, um, I found that it wasn't so much the physical practice of yoga that would have helped that. It was more so the particular philosophies. And um, in this case, looking into how something like the the koshas can inform me on um, where the inspiration or where the knowledge is coming from, where the information is coming from, to keep me on course. Um, and again, that sounds pretty abstract. I'm trying to do my best to... <laughs> uh, explain these things, uh, especially with this concept, right? It's something that's just really abstract. So there's a bit of a rant. I'm going to keep going on here. So the, um, the main idea here that I'm getting to is that um, Ananda Maima, or I keep saying Ananda Maima, Ananda Maima was a saint, a woman saint in India. Um, but uh, Ananda Maya Kosha, is present in all the koshas. So what does this mean? Essentially, the fabric of each kosha is formed by Anandamaya kosha. So making the foundation of each kosha initially composed as and of bliss. So bliss in this case isn't just like overt happiness. You know, like I was explaining before, you're taking a bite of that pastry and you're like, oh my God, I'm in bliss right now. Um, that's a euphemism, but bliss is a state of acceptance and surrender. It's more of a function to allow for each kosha to grow into its form. Um, thus bliss acts as an initiator. You can think of the phrase as above, so below. Um, and as a side note, uh, Maya Kosha is linked to the eighth limb of Ashtanga Yoga, which is called Samadhi. So, um, in the near future, I'm going to be doing um, podcast episodes on fully on Ashtanga Yoga. So, what all the eight limbs are. So, not or not Patabi Joyce's Ashtanga Yoga series, not that, but the uh, Patanjali's. Yoga Sutras and Ashtanga Yoga as the eight limbed path, which is um, Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, 
Pratyahara, um, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. So the experience of Samadhi is a return into bliss. So it's a return into the Anandamaya Kosha. So um, each layer, each Kosha, you have... um, you essentially are finding the root of bliss in each layer. And there is a compounding that occurs that nestles each kosha into each other, where the foundation of bliss in each kosha is integrated with awareness. Um, so that's already happening. Um, but there is a kind of separation that is happening. So right now, without overt awareness, the layers are seemingly separate and largely invisible, quote-unquote, except for the physical layer, obviously, because that's our primary experience in this existence, the Anamaya Kosha. Um, So the result is a temporary and conditioned experience of bliss. So again, like eating that pastry, oh, I'm in bliss, in and out, right? Because you're going to eat it, it's going to go down in your stomach, you don't taste it anymore, bliss is over. Um, So expansion has yet to be invited in this case. So when our primary experience of existence is the physical body, we are confined to its limitation. And so we don't really have an experience of expansion it seems weird to think about like what what do you mean expansion like where am i expanding what am i expanding to i'm i can't expand anymore expansion is foreign to only having a physical experience so the goal here is then finding bliss in everyday life in the small everyday things and that's where you want to start so like that pastry eating it oh my god in bliss okay and then driving in your car listening to your favorite song seeing the sunshine looking out there's a lot of traffic but you're just driving And you have this moment of bliss of like being, I don't know how to explain it, but where there's this surrender into the beauty of the moment. And that can be you're on a hike, that can be you're in your apartment, softly lit, you have a record playing, you're reading a book. And in that moment, everything just feels right. And so from that, you set the gears in extending that bliss into the other layers. So from the physical into the energetic into the mind and emotions, into the wisdom, into bliss itself. So the path to total expansion into Anandamaya Kosha is experience bliss in each Kosha. So what does that look like? What does bliss in your body look like? 
What does bliss in your energy body look like? What does bliss in your mind and your emotions look like? What does bliss as wisdom look like? Now, these are questions I can't answer for you. I can answer for them for myself. So what does bliss in my body look like? It's different day to day. It's not just one thing. Bliss in my body can be when I'm doing my Monday night CrossFit and I just did the most brutal workout and I'm lying on the floor and my heart is pounding and my mind is absolutely quiet and I just feel my body buzzing and I'm breathing heavy and I'm closing my eyes and I'm feeling all of that. That is bliss to me. And so when and where is up to you and so how it shows up will be unique to you and how you finally experience bliss as a source of existence is something you must endeavor towards on your own so again the tricky thing with taking on a yoga practice is planting that seed and nurturing the idea that this is going to be a lifelong endeavor. And whether or not you, you know, sort of break through, like you're having a DMT experience or an acid trip or whatever, and you kind of break through the trip and into this whole crazy realm, you know, that's really similar to this meditative experience of breaking through the limitations and the confines of your body and your mind and where it's not just you sitting and enduring you've gone beyond that your physical body is no longer the focal point of your experience you no longer seated meditating you're within a whole new realm of experience of, of a state of consciousness. And, and so even though this all sounds quite cryptic, again, like this is, we're now in a realm of abstract thinking, so this is not easy, you know. Um, but the, the subjective and the anecdotal experience to discover how you can relate to the bliss body cannot be done without you so you're the means to the end and again how that looks and what you're willing what boundaries you're willing to push um, is going to inform you on the success of it um, and that doesn't rule out spontaneous experiences because there are people plenty of people who have had in the moment sudden enlightening experiences and in some cases in traumatic experiences in a car crash and they're in the hospital and they have a um, near-death experience or an OBE like outer body experience and then suddenly they're in this like brilliance of light and they're seeing their um, body and they're seeing themselves in the hospital bed, but then 
they turn around, they look, and um, they're in this whole realm of, of light. And so I think the fun thing with taking on a spiritual practice is um, you inadvertently open yourself up to spontaneous experiences. Now, I'm not saying that if you take on a yoga practice, you're going to get into a life-threatening car accident and have this um, near-death experience. It's more so that um, those spontaneous experiences are going to come out of the meditations, are going to come out of the ceremonies, are going to come out of the yoga practice. And in your day-to-day life, in a more harmonious way i would say like the car accidents ones are more of a sign synchronistically from the higher self into that person of like um you are on a dangerous path in life and um you know this is a wake-up call especially the ones that survive right they come out of it and they typically change their life overtly and it's really because that connection into their you know their bliss body had to happen and in that unfortunate case in a traumatic case right but then there's the adept who come about this knowledge and come about this information and find the means and the way into that bliss layer and into the integrated state of Um, their bliss body um, through their own work and endeavor and so um, yeah just to recap what we're looking at here is a trajectory and a journey through the koshas and so rather than just seeing these as just words and ideas now to take it within your practice and make it experiential is that you're seeing each layer as a representation of bliss itself in different forms and then in order to get into a totality of the ananda maya kosha is that in each layer you're finding the source of bliss in each one And so when you look at your body, you're finding the source of bliss in that. In your pranic energetic field, you're finding the source of bliss in that. Within your mind and emotion, you're finding the source of bliss in that. Within the wisdom body, you're finding the source of bliss in that. And then a channel is made as above, so below. You're finding the bliss within each of those layers than the bliss of the totality of experience and all of that is streaming through and then your representation of being is a presence of bliss and so this is how I've, I've come to see notable figures throughout history who make a huge impact on society is because in some way or another they have created that loop and they've come in contact with that bliss body and they're streaming in the potency of um, presence. Um, and, and, and that can be people who 
aren't even yogis. I think that's a unique thing about this is that it's not necessarily dependent on this practice is that there are people who come to that realization on their own. So their own spiritual practice, whether it's within Christianity, Judaism or Islam or Buddhism or Jainism or um, Rastafarism, you name it, whatever one is the catalyst to get into that state regardless if they have different names for it, different practices, is that there have been notable figures throughout history. And, you know, like, I can name a whole bunch. We can all name a whole bunch, even like Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Yogananda or um, even people like Sadhguru or... um, Muji, you know, it's almost like endless. We just have these people in our world that get in contact with something very potent within themselves. And then that shift happened, like I was saying earlier, right? It, It's no longer for personal means. It's for impersonal means. It's no longer just for themselves. It's for society itself. And I think that's can largely be the tricky thing Um, because you have to ask yourself, you know, like, are you, am I willing, am I ready to do what I'm doing, not just for myself, but for others around me? And most people will understand that, especially people with kids, right? When you have um, parents, why they have their job, why they do the things that they do for the most part is for their kids and their family but I think in this case there are individuals who take it a larger step forward and it's not just for their kids not just for their family not for their friends or their co-workers anymore it's for society and that's a really big responsibility to say hey I'm going to do the work that I do for complete strangers that I don't know. People who might even hate me. I'm going to do this work for them. I'm going to do this work for the people that love me and for the people that hate me because everyone is worth it and valuable and everyone deserves to have an experience of freedom within themselves. So like I said at the beginning... (laughs) Um, this topic in particular is a bit challenging to navigate. Um, and um, the important thing is that to have an experience, a tangible experience, so not just like this of me talking at you guys listening, a tangible experience takes work and it takes dedication and it takes persistence where you are doing the particular meditations that even on the days that show no results that you're not discouraged from continuing the trajectory because a lot of the time of entering into these realms they are quite spontaneous so it will take days of nothing happening 
because in those days of nothing happening, there is a concentration that is occurring and there is a potency that's being built. And um, it'd be like having a lock and you have a blank key. The blank key will fit, but it won't open the lock. And so you have to carve the key into the right shape for it to go into the lock and open it. And so you're going to have, and especially if, if you're doing this, you know, think of like old days of like by hand shaping the key, you know, think of like um, the scene in the matrix to the key maker, right? Where he's like, he's got the wheel and he's like buffing the key. And, and so the meditative work is shaping that key day in and day out and testing it on the lock day in and day out. And just because it's not opening the lock yet, you have it in you, you know that you will unlock and use the key pro and like the key will unlock the door. And it's in those days of it not working, informing you that you've got to keep going at it. You've got to keep going at it. And so what are we even getting at? So this will be my final thing because there's no sense in me talking for an hour in circles about this thing. So what's the work? What's the practice? You know, and um, essentially it's it's developing your own sense of spirituality. Like what does spirituality mean to you? What is a spiritual practice? And how do you develop a different kind of relationship with why you're a human? Like, why the why are we humans? Why are we in this body? We could have been anything. We could have been a tree. We could have been absolutely anything. But here we are as humans. So why? Is it just to have the job that you have and have the boyfriend or girlfriend and the parents and to get the new PlayStation, to get the new car, to get a house. Is it, is that just it? And we hear this all the time. Like we're in 2023 and we have the internet and we have decades of people asking this question. We have centuries, millennia of people asking this question. And so the sense of, how you're evolving as a person, how you're growing and what purpose you have as being a human. You don't need someone else to answer that for you. You don't need me to tell you your purpose is to do this. You fully have the power to decide that. And that was the thing that I realized is that when I started wondering about the dreams, the wild dreams that I was having when I was a kid, um, the way that I would just look at nature and the world. And when I started getting into um, spirituality of, um, especially like yoga practices, it dawned on me that my purpose here is 
first of all, simply to be a human, to have the human experience. That's why I'm here. That's why we're all here. But then how I share my human purpose, how I share this humanity and what comes up naturally is through working in the housing industry. That's the mundane one. That's my job, right? Working in a stair and railing company. But then music and art and being able to articulate these concepts. And I just have this innate ability to it. So my path to Ananda Mayakosha into bliss is that I know and follow my deliberate decisions to evolve from just being a human, from this experience, into something that is more represented as a spiritual being. And oh man, this is so hard <laughs> to, to talk about and be articulate and not talk in circles and um, not blabber on. Because that's, that's the tricky thing about um, the yoga community and, and the New Age spiritual community is there's so many fucking fluffy words. It's so, it's just filled with fluff. And so, um, my, my goal here is to be able to talk about these things in kind of a normalized way and, and a digestible way. But, um, I think I'll end it there and, um, kind of feel good and be in my bliss that <laughs> the koshas are done with and I can move on and I can go into the pranavayus and I can go into um, ashtanga yoga and, and other concepts um, but this is what my passion is um, I notice in the yoga world that not many people really deep dive into the koshas they don't deep dive into the pranavayus and stuff like that so um, this is where I feel like my my servitude to the yoga community is doing these kind of podcast lectures where um, it's something that I can look back on because ultimately I'm leading towards writing um, a a yoga manual, like a yoga encyclopedia. Um, my um, be my second book, but it'll be my first more extensive um, body of work where. It's going to be composed of three books, essentially, in one. Um, one all about Ashtanga Yoga and the Eight Limbs. Then the second is um, about the energetic system, so about the chakras, the koshas, the pranavayus. And then the third book is all about practical applications, so how to take these concepts and actually apply them and actually integrate them into your life and into practices and so, like, you know, taking Ananda Maya Kosha and um, adding it into your experience. So, like, how are you experiencing your, your bliss body? It's there. How are you experiencing it? How are you tapping into it? Um, how are you looking at the world through the filter of bliss? And so when you 
have any kind of experience from the most beautiful to the most challenging that this filter of bliss is added and it's there no matter what. And so that you're adding bliss to the experience. So even if you have a loved one pass away and it's so sad and it's so challenging and you just, and you want to cry and you cry and you're upset and it's emotional and and you're confused, but that filter of bliss is there. So then you can have the, all that you can have that whole experience and it's still a blissful experience. It's blissful that you're crying. It's blissful that you're sad. It's blissful that it's hard and it's confusing, you know? And we can go down a whole rabbit hole of that, right? Because then it's like, well, what about traumatic experiences? What about abuse? You know, those are the biggest triggering ones. How could you be going through abuse and be experiencing bliss? And the bliss might be that you realize you don't want that abuse anymore. You don't want to be in that relationship. You don't want to have those friends. And so making the decision to get out of that is suddenly this whole blissful experience because you're taking your power back. So thank you for listening. Uh, The song you're about to hear is my first rock song called Favors. And really appreciate if you'd go to Spotify or Apple Music um, or even YouTube, you can find all my music um, on those platforms. Check out my website, zornanda.com. Um, I'm going to be dis- disabling purchasing my book um, until I get more physical copies. I'm in the process. It's just pretty expensive. And um, so go to Amazon to get my book. Look up Future Life Progression meeting your future self it's there on amazon um but again check out my website you can find my music there um you can find the meditations that go along with the book um thank you for listening thank you for enduring thank you for finding the bliss in the moment have a wonderful rest of your day enjoy Another favorite to serve
Dust of hell has risen Blazer, you beg to be forgiven Stealer, you've taken all